Southern New Hampshire's home for the Boston Red Sox on ESPN New Hampshire Radio, WGAM Manchester, WGHM Nashua. Welcome back to the Stretch Run here on ESPN New Hampshire. Jimmy Murphy, your host here. Bob Barris working the boards. I don't know if we thought we were in Colorado here. We don't have no Jack call here. Jack Edwards coming on. We have to have the Jack Edwards call. But we do have the goal song that we are creating, that we are campaigning to get played at TD Garden. I want to know if he, if he liked it or not. Joining us now from Nesson is Jack Edwards. Jack, that is our Pasternak goal song, and we need it to be played at TD Garden. What do you think? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I'm kind of partial to the ship's horn, you know, Murph. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I kind of like hearing that thing uh, shake the floor, but uh, this kid's really something, isn't he? I mean, you know, every time he gets the puck, he, he does something different with it, and, and that's really what separates the guys who are very good goal scorers from the guys who sort of leave their mark on the game if they Mm -hmm. can stay healthy over 10 or 12 years. Because, you know, you think back and, and like, let's take just for example, you know, Mark Savard. uh, You know, he had his good and bad points as a player, but I I never saw him make the same pass twice. You know, it was either a different weight or a different Mm -hmm. elevation or a different Mm -hmm. angle or, or different timing. And, and Pasternak seems to have that gift of improvisation, and he's he's just a brilliant player to watch. Bob, Jack, will we see Pasternak on the All Star team, or do we need a Pasternak Super Pack Electoral College to get him there? I think we all ought to get bots going for us. You know, everybody who has an old computer just have it run twenty four seven and just you know <laughs> stuff the ballot box. Or better yet, somebody get the, the hotline to Putin because he seems to be pretty good at hacking. So, you know, let's, let's get Pasternak on, uh, on that team with a little Russian help, maybe, huh? Yeah, and Jack, I want to just go back to what you're saying there, just about how you can distinguish the really good ones, the ones that just, they have it, quote-unquote, it. And, uh, and Pasternak clearly is showing us that he does there. Does he remind you uh, of any other players, his style, his shot? Anything, is there someone that comes to mind for you that you've, you know, called games of or or encountered over the years or watched when you were a kid? Is there somebody that comes to mind? You know, Murph, I, I, he doesn't because he has that fluidity with the puck, and, and he seems to do that that stretch thing where he'll have the puck right in by his skates, and he's able to do something 
whip the puck in by his feet, but then he suddenly extends his arms, and his stick can see things that his eyes can't because it gives him that ability instantaneously to reach into a seam and to reach around the defenseman and still to get some Chinese mustard on that shot. You know, the kids put on about 15 really good pounds over the last couple of years. It's been a slow and steady and conscientious process so we can get, you know, with that, that phrase that you've been using for about 20 years, man strong, right? Mm-hmm. So, and he's, he's starting to get that and, and his ability to be so fluid so quickly with the puck gives him that that extra move. You know, it's almost like if, if we can talk in baseball parlance, a pitcher who's got an unbelievable fastball, he's got a really good slider, and he's also got a devastating changeup. Pasternak can beat you with raw speed. He can beat you with cleverness, and he can also beat you with individual moves. And, and when you combine those three things, he's a nightmare for any defenseman right now. You know, it's interesting. I heard, uh, I was listening to the uh, radio pregame show driving home last night, and uh, our good friend Dave Gosher had a good little sit down with David and uh, with Pasternak. And, you know, he, he talked to him about his time growing up in Czech. And, and amazingly, Pasternak had said, and I'm not sure if he's, he's mentioned this to you before, that he really didn't envision himself um, playing pro hockey, despite having a dad who played pro hockey, despite having a dad who was a hockey coach, but he never envisioned him making it to this level until he was about 16, 17, and he ended up going over to Sweden. And then, of course, he had the success at the World Juniors as well. And it, But he said one interesting thing was his dad never coached him in terms of like coaching him on the ice and everything, but he said, you know, I want you to come to me when you have just questions and, and you want to talk the game and think the game there. And he said he, he felt like he didn't do enough of that, and now he does it a lot more often. And, I, you know, I wonder if maybe something happened over the summer where he, he had a conversation with his dad there, but that's another thing I see about this kid is his, his ability to read the game has improved so drastically in such a short time. And I, I just I really have enjoyed seeing him thinking the game out there too. Yeah, and, and you know, the thing – that Pasta left uh, the Czech and, and went to Sweden and actually became good friends with a guy he's going to play against tomorrow night, William Nylander. That's right. Um, he uh, uh, he really grew up a lot. You know, that's a long way away from home. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it, that's a different country. It's way farther north. So there are a lot more dark days, and he immersed himself in the game and and that was that turning point and, and we actually did discuss that in uh, an in-depth interview we had with him during the preseason and and uh you know it's, it, you, you think about being a, a teenage boy who's got a lot of talent but you're really really lonely mm-hmm. um the losses must have been awfully difficult to accept and the victories must have been a great deal of fulfillment for him. And, and obviously he's channeled a lot of uh, the difficult times in his life into something that he really, really loved. And, uh, you know, who's, who's to complain about the result? You know, he's just he's such a wonderful uh, bubble of energy in that uh, dressing room of, of mostly older veteran players and a few young kids like himself. But uh, what, a, what a breath of fresh air he is. And, and, you know, and because of those difficult times, it seems he's a little bit older than his age, right? Mm. You know, he, he, he projects things 
like that thing you were just talking about, you know, about a, being able to think the game at a higher level than, than most 20-year-olds you're ever going to see. I mean, really, the only the only young guys that, that I think are thinking on Pasternak's level are, are a couple of defensemen, Aaron Ekblad and Zach Wierenski. Mm, no, it's, it's really hard to play in the NHL, but to be able to think as quickly as he does and to be able to, to function and execute as well as he does, it's just a remarkable thing. I'm glad you brought up Rewenski there because I feel like he's in a similar position of Pasternak where he's going to get lost in the sh- well it, that could change but as of now have sort sort of gotten lost in the shuffle of, of early Calder Trophy candidates here for Rookie of the Year uh, and Rewenski is the same as Pasternak there maybe not getting enough love from the average fan or the average media so to speak I mean those really in the hockey world know that what he's doing for Columbus but is Pasternak's last two weeks has that maybe propelled him above that middle of the pack and put him into the uh, the consideration for that trophy? Uh, well, you know, Pasta, I, I don't think he's uh, considered a rookie anymore because he's got more. Oh than yeah, that's right. Games. You're right. You're right. Yeah. My bad. Yeah, I yeah, guess what but, I'm saying though, in terms of the young players, he fe- I feel but, like yeah, he doesn't I mean, get grouped in that group where we talk well, about young yeah. bright stars. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, there's, it's like it's the Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews and uh, Jack Eichel and. You know, those guys are one or two years younger than Pasta, but we're not talking about a lot of time, right? You know, mm. and, and, uh, and Pasta certainly should be considered in that, that handful of players, especially as he's blossoming this season. Um, you know, I, goal, goal scores will be the first to tell you, and, and Brad Marchand had one of these stretches this season. You know, the goals come and go. And I, I think that when he cools off, and he will cool off, people shouldn't be too disappointed. They should look at his overall game because in addition to Pasternak playing so uh, at such an exciting level in the attacking zone, he's really learned the game well in the back two-thirds of the ice. Uh, Brick did an extensive breakdown on, on how well he's saw playing that. in all three zones. It's really remarkable how this kid knows when to rotate for a defenseman, knows how to read uh, a breakout for the opponent when the defenseman is finished forward, uh, knows when he's really got to hit the jet to get back on the back check to be that that uh, pr- that pressure forward who's uh, tightening the gap. Um, and you, you can't help but think that playing alongside Bergeron and Marchand has made him a much better player. And that's an equity investment for the Bruins. You know, that's that's like the hidden value of Patrice Bergeron. Oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, remember when people were screaming and yelling about the Bruins signing Bergeron for about $5 million a year for a long-term <laughs> deal? <laughs> I mean, that's one of the biggest deals in NHL history right now. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that that's, that's part of that hidden equity that, that Bergeron makes players around him better, not just in this game, but for the rest of their career. And, and you know, and, and you know, Timmy, uh, producer, and I had a little argument yesterday. But I mean, he at least he acknowledged to me it, it is working this year, and, and you can see it in Parsonak, and that's Claude Julian's insistence on: I don't care how skilled, how amazing you are, or who you are, you're gonna play both sides of the ice, and you're not gonna play, and that's just it. And, and Parsonak went through that struggle, and he. He, there were times where he was getting sad when a lot of people would cry, why isn't he out there right now? Why isn't he out there in the power play? Why isn't he getting playing time in, in clutch situations towards the end of the game? And it was just part of the learning process there. Now, and I don't think if those moments don't happen, if that learning process doesn't happen, we don't see the breakout we're witnessing right now. 
Yeah, and and uh, that sort of brings this conversation full circle, doesn't it? Because that's where Claude was at loggerheads with Savard. Because, uh, you know, Claude says this time and time again about disappointing performances by the team and disappointing performances by individuals that if you don't honor the system, if you don't respect the system, you're not going to play at important times for him. And what he means by respecting the system is you never, ever uh, can let your guard down on defense. You know, the, the scoring streaks come and go, but if you play conscientious defense, if you give your all in the back two-thirds of the ice every single night, you're giving your team a chance to win. And and then when you get into the attacking zone, yeah, go nuts. You know, light it up, do something improvisational that nobody's ever seen before, but you don't try that kind of stuff on defense. Defense is about system and organization and responsibility, and that's hard work. And, you know, Murph, you must have played sports as a kid, and I certainly played mm-hmm. sports as a kid, and I'll tell you one thing. I enjoyed playing offense about 20 times as much as I played enjoyed playing defense. And, and if you can get good attacking players to uh, accept their responsibility and look forward to playing defense, then you can play for Claude Julian. Otherwise, you're going to end up being on another team. Go ahead, Bob. Jack, I have a Tim Schaller question, and with full disclosure, I'm on Team uh, Team Tim from Merrimack, New Hampshire, because uh, that's where my law office is, and I know Tim's brother Dave, uh, and I've interviewed them before. So I'm I'm very proud to look at the numbers that that Tim has here, and as I'm looking with 25 games played, four goals, five assists, his numbers are right in the meat of the pack with Bacchus, with Krug, with Chara. You know, with Bergeron, and my question to you is: Can I get some input on has Tim Schaller cemented his place with the parent club? Uh, oh yeah, I think he's cemented his place with the parent club because even if he doesn't stick on Krejci's left wing, uh, he's a significant contributor, and he's a guy who's performed very consistently. Um, but no coincidence that when uh, when Schaller on the left and Bacchus on the right joined Crazy mm. David. Crazy's scoring jumped. Mm-hmm. And you, you look back through Crazy's career, what are the most productive periods he's had? Well, you know, you had Lucic there. And, uh, you Martin. know, he had Ginla for a while. And uh, there, were, there were players who could create space for David Crazy. Crazy's not one of these guys who plays with brainless speed. He's much more along the lines of the great Patrick Elias who knew that there were two ways that you could go down a set of rapids in a canoe. You can either go faster than the current, or you can go slower than the current. Because if you go the speed of the current, you're going to get washed up on the rock. And, you know, the kids coming out of junior right now don't know how to slow it down and still create offense. They think that if unless you win the race to the goal, that you're not going to succeed. And if Krejci has guys who are straight-line players, who are bangers and can win the puck, he can really perform magic, and, and he's rounding into form finally after his second hip surgery in the offseason. And I don't think it's any coincidence that, that his best streak of the season has come with Shower on his left and Bacchus on his right. Yeah, I completely agree with you there, and I don't want you to forget Nathan Horton there, too, playing with uh, David Krejci, yeah, Jack. Uh, he helped him as well. And uh, Tomorrow, the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, come to town. Uh, actually, some news there about the Leafs today. They did trade Peter Holland for a uh, conditional pick. Um, but I'd say, Jack, that maybe one of your most memorable moments uh, behind the booth uh, came against this team. Let's hear it right now. To Bergeron, the drive save, rebound is loose. Sagan kicks it loose. 
So, Bob, take us, I mean, Jack, take us back to that moment there, you know, and they're down 3 nothing in the third. Now, I had actually, you know, as being a writer, we're on deadlines, yeah. and so we're always trying to get downstairs. We got the story pretty much set, and then, you you know, you're going to throw the quotes in after it. So you want to get down there. You want to you wanna be first in line to get in the dressing room. So there I am, you know, I mean, the game looked over, and sitting there, I'm finalizing. I'm with the editor. He's like, all right, get this in quick. Get me one quote. Boom. And then that, so uh, yeah. that that was my that was my night. That's how everything went there, and I had to just delete everything. Boom, which I gladly did because it was one of the most epic comebacks I've ever seen. But <laughs> take us take us through your moment from down three nothing to that call. What was that like? Well, you know, first of all, we were about one minute of playing time away from starting the obituary on the Bruins for the season. You know, it was game seven. They were going to go down, and we were just going to start the list of speculative. Uh, moves that the team was going to make, who was going to get fired, who was going to get kept, who they were going to unload, how they were going to try to rebuild. And then Lucci scores, and then Lucci has another strong shift, and, you know, the goals start popping in, and Bergeron fires one in, and in the final minute with the goalie pulled, and then they end up scoring that, that epic goal in OT. And it was just one of those moments that you say to yourself, this can only happen in sports, because you, you can draw it up, you can write the script that every Hollywood film studio would turn down because it would be too schmaltzy, <laughs> but that that victory was, was all about the Bruins understanding what was there to be had, and what was there was a run all the way to the Stanley Cup final, only to be beaten by a great Chicago team. And, you know, it's uncanny how... Sometimes those first-round victories are so key to a great playoff run. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, they, they beat Montreal in 2011 yep. in sudden death overtime in Game 7. They come from three down against Toronto. And, and that's actually why I thought that last year was St. Louis's year. Because St. Louis finally got past Chicago. Mm. And I thought, man, they're in there. But then they had to go deep against Dallas. And they had nothing left, left against San Jose. And, mm. you, you know... You think about the propulsion that the Bruins got out of that that victory against Toronto. It just it changed their world for the remainder of the playoffs. And and uh, yeah, that's it's just it's one of the most amazing, wonderful moments I've ever had the pleasure of experiencing. And, and let's not forget the the whole Boston Strong aspect too, and, and what was oh, yeah. happening around Boston at that time. It it was just. And you talk about moments that can only happen in sports, uh, Jack. And, and, yeah, it was one of those moments to me where, like, you know, I'll put it there on the level of uh, the Yankees after 9-11 and all that because the city was unifying. The city was looking for something to inspire them. They were looking for something to escape from what had just happened there. And, and the Bruins gave that to them. I and mean, we know David Ortiz with his speech and then what yeah. they went on to do that year as well. And – that is one of those, just those magical things that can happen in sports, and one of the reasons you know we're lucky enough to be involved in the media side of it. So, just a great moment there. And uh, you mentioned the 2011 there uh, against Montreal. 
I'll just remember, too, within that series, uh, Jack, when they go down 2-0 at home and they go up to Montreal and take two there. And that, to me, was amazing as well. I mean, this is against their hated rival. Yeah, yeah, that was that was incredible, uh, you know, because we were on the way to Montreal and and we were thinking the same thing that we were thinking about two years later, like, you know, how are they going to disassemble this franchise that showed so much promise and, and rebuild it? And then, you know, they turn it around in game three. They go to Lake Placid to get away from the noise yeah. and the craziness of Montreal, and they come back and they win game four, and the whole world turns for them. It's, uh, it's just this. Uh, what makes the world go around for us, Mark? It know? really is. I'll <laughs> tell you something uh, quick, too, before I let you go here, Jack, on that series, too. I remember, um, you know, I was lucky enough to get to know Mark Recchi actually before he came to Boston because I knew him through some of my Penguins connections. And, you know, it, so I already kind of had a, a good off-ice relationship with him there. And he'd call me here and there. And, you know, he was always good to me, giving me some inside info. And I remember him calling me the day of Game 3 in Montreal. And uh, he, he said to me, what do you think? And I said, I don't know. It's, it's going to be tough. And he says, well, I'll tell you what I think. I just went into uh, to Claude, and I said, we're winning this series for you. We're coming back. We're going to win both here, and we're going to win this series. And, and I said, really? You did? And I said, can I use that? He's like, nope. But I'm like, well, at least I know it. And, and it was just... I'll never forget that. And then he went out and did it. And man, it was uh, it was fun to watch the way he helped that team as well. And uh, obviously, he ended up retiring after they won the cup. But uh, you know, it just that was that was one of those moments too. That whole run was a cool moment to cover, and I'm sure it was for you too. Yeah, Mister, get out of your comfort zone. You know, that's uh, <laughs> that's that was Recky's uh, motto going into the playoffs every single year of his career. Get out of your comfort zone. Take what's comfortable for you, and do that. But do the other thing, too, because uh, that's what it's going to take for everybody to pull the same direction as hard as they can on the rope and, and maybe pull this thing across the finish line. What a what a wonderful way for him to go out and to blaze the glory. It was great. And quickly, uh, you meant, we mentioned Montreal here. I don't know if you saw what happened last night with uh, Carey Price and Palmieri. Yeah, yeah, I, I applaud that. I, I think goalies should vigorously defend their turf, and I'm, I'm clearly I, behind Price for taking the waffle out and and working over anybody who dares go in that little precious piece of real estate. You know, good for him. I don't blame I don't blame it at all, and I totally agree with you. The one thing I worry, Jack, and I want to get your take, does that make him even more of a target now, though? Because we know how hard price is to beat. You're only going to use, get him on a deflection or a freaky bounce in front. Now, do other players, do other teams say maybe the Bruins this Monday up there, hey, we know how to get under his skin now. Is he going to get targeted more now? Now, I, I, I think that if they attempt to do that in Montreal, that uh, Tuka Rask will be sticking the teeth of uh, <laughs> the in his mouth out of the back of his net because, you know, Montreal's got plenty of players who will retaliate. Shea time. Weber, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and, you know, by the way, if Weber doesn't win the Norris this year, people aren't paying attention. That guy is just, he oh, is lifting unreal. that entire team, and this is going to be a huge test with Galchenyuk and Baronet both out. Yeah, for sure. I'm with you on that, and I look forward to the next two games on Nesson. Uh, you guys will have both games, right? Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow against Toronto and Monday night, while everybody's coming in from shoveling their driveways against uh, Montreal. And the Monday night football, too. I'm going to try and split the screens, or I'll get two TVs in one room there. So we'll uh, we'll be watching you and uh, Brick on Nesson, and uh, we'll be watching the Patriots on the other. Listen, my friend, 
Always a pleasure. Appreciate you taking the time, Jack. Murph and Bob, thanks a ton for having me. Great, All right, thank and, you. and hey, you're always good to get back on the lines in New Hampshire, right? You bet. All right, that is Jack Edwards joining us here on the stretch run on ESPN New Hampshire. We're going to switch gears back to football in the next segment and talk with our good man Gabriel Morenzi. You'll want to stay tuned for that, as Gabe always uh, sends us off into the weekends with a lot of laughs. So stay tuned. Gabriel Morenzi in the stretch run here on ESPN New Hampshire. Buddy's real talent was beating people up. His heart wasn't. You're listening to the home of New England sports on 1250 Manchester. It's ESPN New Hampshire. And welcome back to the Stretch Run here on ESPN New Hampshire. It's Friday. Halfway through the final hour, and that means, as it is every Friday at this time, it's time to talk to our man Gabriel Morenci of Fantasy Sportsnet. You can find him on Twitter, at SportsRage. He's all over the place. I can't keep track of all the different outlets he's with because uh, he's one of the hardest, if not the hardest, working guys in the business, and he joins us now. Mr. Morenci, how are you? Hey, always a pleasure, uh, Jimmy. I'm burning the candle to both ends uh, lately. It's a busy time of the year. The holidays are the holidays to most, uh, but in the sports uh, world, it's the busiest time of the year. And we kick off our 15th anniversary tour tonight in Toronto uh, with a live, a live, uh, live show. It's not really awesome. a radio show or a TV show because it's kind of X-rated. But um, <laughs> it's going to be a live, a live. Uh, Live sports rage tonight. Fifteen years. Uh, tonight's the first leg of the tour. Five cities. Congratulations, five cities. So you're in Toronto tonight. What are the other cities? Yeah, Toronto tonight. Uh, we're doing Montreal, January the sixth. Ooh. Which was uh, the the original start uh, actually, January the second, two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Vancouver uh, tentatively scheduled for uh, January the nineteenth, and then um, New York. Uh, actually, Super Bowl week. Uh, the Friday night before uh, Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl Sunday. So the last Friday before Super Bowl Sunday in Manhattan, and then uh, looks like we'll wrap it up in Las Vegas. Like it's not five days in a row or anything like that. I don't have money to be flying around everywhere, Jim. Not Metallica, you know. <laughs> or Lemmy, right? Or Lemmy drove everywhere. Yeah, we, we spread them out. The, the, the tour dates are like two, three weeks apart. <laughs> I hear you. Well, I might, I might have to have a rendezvous with you up in Montreal. We'll see. So I'll keep that date open, my friend. January sixth, you said. That's uh, it's marked. Yeah, down. Friday night, January the sixth. Actually, be a lot of the old school um, 
Team 990 radio oh, personalities cool. that I was on with. Well, the ones that don't hate me. Yeah. So I'm sure a few of them uh, will show up. Uh, but I don't like living in the past, uh, Jimmy, unless one is talking about trends that will help me make money. Yep. You know, I've said it many times, man. Only hair metal bands and history teachers live in the past. Uh, but I'm going to go down memory lane a little bit since it's been 15 years, you know? Hey, why not, my friend? Well, listen, if I do come up, I might have to bring my lawyer alongside. So we'll, we'll both have legal representation if needed. Yeah, especially in Montreal, uh, it probably will be needed. <laughs> my my uh, attorney powers expire at the border, but I I got a Rolodex. Well, we'll figure advice. something out. You yes. still have advice. Yeah, exactly. Yes. You can give us advice. Hey, listen, my friend, obviously uh, call... That's for- actually the good thing about Montreal. Uh- it's hard to get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> hey. You know, like there's... Put it this way, like if you, as a betting man, it's like... It's a hell of a lot easier to get arrested in, like, Toledo, Ohio <laughs> than it is in Montreal. Like, it's a lot easier. I'm sure it's a lot easier to get arrested in New Hampshire than it is in Montreal. That's why my I mean, office I, is here. Yeah, yeah I'm sure there's a lot, of, a lot of people listening that are thinking to themselves, yeah, I got drunk when I was 18 mm-hmm. in Montreal because, you know, when I was in Montreal, I could always tell uh, who the tourists uh, were because they either had Boston Bruin uh, jerseys on or they were never wearing jackets, which I never understood. <laughs> it's like, you know you're going to Canada. It's going to be cold. Like, you know, you're from New Hampshire. You're from, like, Plattsburgh, New York. Like, do you think that, like, it's balmy, you know, 40 minutes away? Like, then you see them all drunk and they're puking on St. Catherine Street after and their shirts. And I'm cold. I want to go back to the hotel. <laughs> hey, listen, my friend. Uh, obviously, uh, not, a little, not a lot of college football until later next week when the bowl game starts. Up, but tomorrow there is one big game, and I, I always find it a fun event to watch, and that is the Army Navy game. Uh, Army, Army comes in at six and five, Navy at nine and three. Uh, Navy unfortunately was unable to uh, secure themselves a spot in one of the major bowls, but still a lot to play for. Uh, and, and enough said, just not a lot to play for in the fact that it is the Army Navy game. Who do you like in this one? Well, you know what? Uh, Navy have beaten them um, 14 straight times. Uh, yet this year just has a different feel to it. In past years, it was really just, you know, can Army cover the point spread? And the answer was probably not. Uh, this year's a little bit different. That I got burnt right out of the gate betting against this Army team in week one. We're talking about a team that uh, had lost, you know, 19 or 20 consecutive road games. They open up the season with a win against Temple, which, as we see, Temple are a pretty good football team, mm-hmm. uh, after all. And, you know, Army was actually 1-24 on the road in their last 25 games. Talking about an Army program that, you know, would win two or three games a year and then uh, get, uh, you know, hang around with Navy and eventually get rolled. But this year's a little bit different, man. The Black Knights are 6-5 and five straight up. They're actually going to a bowl game for the first time since 2010. Uh, they're playing against North, uh, North Texas in the, uh, the heart of uh, Texas Bowl or the heart of Dallas Bowl, whatever the hell it's called. Um, you know, it's actually in the Cotton Bowl. So, give me a lot of empty seats, guys. North Texas versus Army <laughs> in the bowl game. <laughs> but nevertheless, I digress. Um, you know, long, long answer here. I think Army can hang around. You know, listen, most, most college teams would be in a flat spot playing the week after losing their conference championship. It's kind of a unique situation. It's like the first time ever in like a long time that actually um, Navy – Navy played the week before. Normally, both teams uh, will have the week off, uh, actually, leading into this game. Uh, but, you know, the Naval Academy kids, they're not regular college football kids. They're not really there to play football. You know, football is just sort of part of what they do uh, when they go to the academy. 
So I don't know if there's a huge letdown after losing the conference uh, championship game last week, but there's you can't you can't discount that letdown factor, and you can't discount the fact that Will Worth, uh, their quarterback, got hurt. And, you know, they already lost their starting quarterback to start the year. I mean, Keenan Reynolds was gone, and then they lost their first-string guy. Will Worth came in and was really, really good. I mean, you know, he was putting up Keenan Reynolds' uh, type of numbers good. He got hurt uh, early in the football game last week against Temple. That's why they got blasted. Yep. He got hurt, and then their running back got hurt, Gully. And they're both out uh, tomorrow. Uh, no, so they no. threw a kid in here. Uh, what's his name? Zach Abbey. Uh, so Zach Abbey uh, was the quarterback. So we're talking about a kid who was third um, third on the depth chart, basically. He got a third-string quarterback. He had never thrown a pass in his career uh, before last week. He was like 7-13, of 13, but the offense didn't go anywhere. really struggled. Um, you know, they, uh, Army's getting six, six-and-a-half points in this football game. I'm taking the points. You know, I think they can win. I'll sprinkle a little bit on the money line, but I really like them on the points. Um, you know, if you want, you can tease him with an NFL game. But I like the six, six and a half. I think it comes down to the wire, uh, actually. I think it's going to be really, really close. But Army has a real shot of winning the game. All right. Let's jump ahead to Sunday, Gabe, and the NFL. Uh, what games are piquing your interest this weekend? Uh, I'm expecting chaos on Sunday and a lot of upsets, uh, actually. Um, yeah, I think we know at the time of the year right now where strange things are going to start to happen. It's December. Uh, some teams have quit. Some teams haven't. Everyone's got a different mindset. Um, you know, Kyle Turley, who's played in the NFL for a long time, told me when, when you know you're not going to the playoffs and you're this time of the year, there's a saying in NFL locker rooms for who and for what. And, you know, we saw the Jets uh, last week just, you know, tap out and not care. Carolina is starting to show uh, that they just want to go home. You know, they're on the verge of crying, basically. They just want to go home and get this season over with. So we'll start right there. I like the San Diego Chargers to beat yeah, Carolina. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, think, uh, I think the Houston Texans, actually, I don't think that number should be six and a half. I mean, you know, to me, the Colts should be a three-point favorite of this football game. I don't think very much of Brock Osweiler, but with that being stated, I also don't think very much of the Indianapolis Colts defense. And I believe this game's going to come down to the wire, like whoever has the ball last wins type of uh, thing. They're playing for division title or the first place at least. Uh, getting the six and a half is attractive to me. I think Houston can win that game. I'll worth a look on the money line at plus 225. I'm going to call it right now that Cleveland Browns, uh, they're going to, the Browns are going to cover the number this week. Mm-hmm. But I think the Browns can win this football game, and I'll say that they will win the football game. They're going to beat the Bengals. The Browns are coming off a bye week. Uh, they've been preparing for nothing but the Bengals uh, for the last two weeks. The Bengals coming off a win last week against Philadelphia, and I was on them, but they didn't really play very well. It was just the fact that the Eagles are in a tailspin uh, right now, too. Like I said, we're at that time of the year right now. Um, you know, I can get into some numbers and stuff, but basically winless teams off a bye from week six out are 18-2-1 and one against the spread. And going back to 1980, uh, there's been 88 games in which uh, teams coming off the bye just generally at any time of the year uh, are winless, and they're 44 and 44 straight up. You know, Cleveland are bad. They have they have deficiencies, but I don't think Cincinnati's going to blow them out. RG three's back. Hugh Jackson knows the Bengals very well. I think this game is another one, man, that um, is going to be really close, ugly football game. But I'll take the five and a half and the money line. Um, the Buffalo Bills killed me last week, and being a Bills fan, I was disgusted by seeing them blow another double-digit lead on the road uh, this year, but they were good enough to get that double-digit lead. And, you know, the Bills are 6-6. Six and six. They probably 
you know, they could be eight and four, but shoulda, coulda, woulda. If if ends and butts were candies and nuts and all that stuff, they are what they are. <laughs> you know, they are what they are. But you know, they're not bad. And Pittsburgh's not a great road team. Everyone loves the Steelers here. I think it's a dangerous game for Pittsburgh. I think Buffalo's going to circle the old wagons I'm and win you, on their home field. Um, you know, moving down the board, I don't see an upset in the Bears Lions game. Except I don't, I don't want to lay the nine points. I think Jacksonville. Here's another one. Minnesota were uh, were five and zero. You know their season's over. Minnesota knows they're not going to the playoffs. It's a disaster. They traded a bunch of picks for for Sam Bradford. Um, you know they lost North Turner. You know the Zimmer's eye fell out. Detached retina. It's, you know it's been a bad run for these guys, right? And as much as hot as they were when they were like nineteen and two against the spread. You know, they're cold right now. And then it's like gambling itself. You know, you're hot, you're cold. Now they're cold. And I wouldn't be surprised if Jackson will win, wins this game outright. I'll take the three and a half. I'll sprinkle on the money line of plus 145. I like the Buccaneers minus the two and a half. I don't think they're getting enough respect uh, in this spot. I'm surprised they're not three and a half, four point favorites uh, here, but it's two and a half. If it's a trap, I'm biting. I like the Redskins to beat the Eagles uh, this week. And, uh, Here's another crazy upset I like. I think the Rams are going to beat the Falcons outright. Ooh, wow. Interesting. What's the reasoning? Well, the, you know, the Falcons Falcons do this every year. Uh, this is what they do. They start off the season 4 and 1, 4 and 0, oh, 6 and 1, and then the tail uh, you know, the, the downward spiral begins, the tailspin begins. I think this Atlanta team is actually a pretty good team. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do. I don't think that they're chokers and but the fact of the matter is they're finding weird ways to lose football games often. And it's piling up. And if you're not paying attention, they're tied right now for first place with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, if four weeks ago, that would, you would have been laughed out of the bar if you would have told people that the Bucs would be tied with the Falcons right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, whether it appears or not like the Falcons are imploding, they're imploding. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> okay, the numbers say, you know, yeah, you guys are imploding. I mean, you know, you've lost. I think they've lost four of the last five games. Um, you know, they're not winning. You know, they, they, they're right there. Something happens. Last week was kind of a, a freak uh, loss at the end against Kansas City. Yep. Uh, but it is what it is. Take the six and a half. Now, you know, saying that Fisher and the Rams are going to win is a little bold, but I think they have a real shot in this game. Uh, Julio Jones got turf toe. He's banged up. He's going to play, but he's far from 100% right now. Uh, Sanu probably is not playing. Um, Atlanta's got a ton of injuries to deal with. And the thing with Fisher is, you know, Fisher's the king of seven and nine. Mm. And uh, right now they've only got four wins, which means he's due for a win or two. And that's the thing with uh, Fisher. Every time that he really gets mocked nationally in the media and stuff, somehow they win a football game. And I think that's, that's going to be the case uh, this week. I'm all over the dogs uh, this week. I noticed. You know, with the exception. And even the Bears probably cover the nine, actually. 11 of the 12 Detroit Lion games have been decided by seven points or less with the yeah. exception of last week's game. So I like the board uh, this week. I'll either be really right or I'm really wrong. It'll be frustrating if we get killed because I'm going to bet on a lot of bad teams this week. But we're at the time of the year right now where, as I stated, um, some teams have started to check out already. What about the G-Men? Well, that, that game to me is, you know, you look at the Cowboys – Cowboys are, you know, Cowboys are for real. I mean, they're a dangerous football team. They can beat anybody in the National Football League, right. uh, I believe. Uh, but we've seen the Cowboys haven't covered uh, two straight weeks uh, in a row because the numbers are a little bit overinflated right now. The Cowboys are America's team in similar fashion. It's still like we were talking about with Michigan with Harbaugh. 
you know, there are certain coaches and there are certain programs and there are certain situations where, you know, the, the public is just going to bet on them. So you're not going to get a fair value. The Golden State Warriors are a good example. Yeah. You know, like the Warriors are great, but, you know, they lay 17 and a half instead of 14 and a half, et cetera. You know, the Patriots are great, but you're always laying a bigger number, really, because it's the New England Patriots. Um, so it's a similar situation now. People, a lot of people that didn't bet on the Cowboys are starting to jump on the bandwagon right now, and they're getting burnt. Yep. You know, they, they didn't cover against Washington. Last week they laid three on the road against the Minnesota team. That's, um, you know, not, in the, not as good as the Giants are right now. The Giants are better in a better mindset. And, uh, you know, they ended up winning the game by two, and they're lucky, actually, to win the game. I mean, the refs really helped them out at the end. So, you know, you can see that the margin is, is shrinking. You know, a month ago, the Cowboys were kicking the crap out of teams. But these games are like playoff games now. Plus, you throw in the weather aspect across the board, and it's just another element. It's, you know, for people who play fantasy football, you can't just pencil in the automatic guys uh, right now. No, I mean, and my advice to fantasy players, too, is, you know, if you can, stay away from some of these cold-weather games and some of these bad-weather situations or play running backs. Uh, because, you know, we saw last night, look at Derek Carr. You know, Derek Carr had like three or four fantasy points last night. You know, one of the best fantasy players in the league. But, you know, it was a playoff-style football game, playoffs at stake, home field and all that other stuff, division titles at stake. And, you know, there are so many games this week across the board in which they're critical games. You know, the Atlanta Falcons, people look at think of the Falcons and you think, oh, they'll put on a show, they're the Falcons and their offense and all that. Well, they're pretty banged up right now. They're on the road. They're not playing indoors. They're going to be playing on a slower uh, carpet right now outside it, uh, in Los Angeles on a college football field. And, and the fact is, this isn't college football. The Atlanta Falcons don't need to impress any voters. They just need to win the game. Yeah. It's not easy to win on the road in the National Football League, even against the Rams. You know, the Rams have a good defense still. Uh, so, you know, are they going to run away with it? You know, so it's overinflated. You know, the number, you know, I get if the number was six and a half earlier in the year, but it shouldn't be six and a half uh, right now. And the giant game is, just, you know, the, the exact example of this in which, you know, all, all week I've been thinking the Cowboys are a far superior football team to the Giants, but the Giants just own the Cowboys for one reason or another. They always beat them. The, the, you know, they're the only team to beat them this year. They beat them already in week one. I know it's revenge for the Cowboys, so it almost feels automatic, uh, but... Now that it's up to three and a half, I, I got a bite on the Giants right now. I think it's going to be a close, high-scoring football game. Yeah, I'm with you. I like the under in this, too, in the cold weather. We'll see. Hey, Gabe, we'll, we'll save your Monday night pick because we will talk to you Monday uh, before the big Patriots-Ravens game. Everybody here is excited about that, so we'll save that until then. We appreciate it, as always. And, my friend, enjoy the party tonight. I appreciate it, uh, guys. May the winner be yours. All right, and uh, Thanks, don't forget Gabe. that Domino's tomorrow to kill that hangover, eh? I might need more than that. Actually, I'm going to the UFC tomorrow night, too. UFC 206. Oh, my God, man. God <laughs> help your liver. Have a good one, buddy. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm too old for this, actually. I want to take a nap before I go out, actually. <laughs> All right, good luck. Gabriel uh, Morenci okay, joining Thanks. us take here. Care. On the stretch run on ESPN New Hampshire. He was all over the dogs, Bob. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yep. Underdog City for Gabriel Morenci this week. You know what though? He's been uh he's been hitting it about a 60 60 to 65 percent yes, clip lately. I've, I've been keeping score and uh sometimes I don't follow some of these college teams, but I've been following his picks. Yeah, yeah so uh it's worth paying attention when he comes on our show and he will be on again at this time. On Monday, and he will give us his pick for the Ravens and Patriots. 
But we've got one more segment left here on a Friday on the Stretch Run on ESPN New Hampshire. So stay with us. We'll be back. You're listening to The Stretch Run with Jimmy Murphy. Stay tuned for Friday Night Lights, only here on ESPN New Hampshire Radio. There's some friends that I know Living in this town And I've come far to see them Gonna track them down They live in a brick house Painted white and brown you got planned for the weekend i huh? got a big weekend ahead of you hope we uh we took you into that big weekend down the stretch run here on espn new hampshire jimmy murphy your host here bob bardis alongside on the fry big plans this weekend my friend you demolition in the house still? exactly i'm switching yeah. hats again we're back to uh you know building construction landlord hat what room are we attacking this weekend kitchen Still the kitchen, eh? Oh, oh, well, yeah, that's a big project, so you yeah. got to chip at it weekend by weekend oh, by boy. weekend. Fun, fun, fun. And how's uh, how's the fine lady handling all that? <laughs> she's orchestrating everything, driving oh, the contractor. Really? Wow. And, yeah. <laughs> wow, she's involved. Nice. Yeah. Good. Very good. You're a lucky man. Lucky man indeed. And how about you, Timmy? Uh, I know you uh, got great plans to uh, well, pretty much stay in the seat you're in right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually looking forward to it. High school basketball, you know, I wouldn't be following yeah, it yeah. as closely if I wasn't up here, so it's going to be fun. There's like Velcro to you behind in that seat right now. You have uh, not been able to leave it, and you will remain there for the rest of the weekend. I wish you luck, my friend, and Timmy. Thank you. Thank you very much for filling in for Justin Sullivan. Appreciate the hard work this week. and uh, ah, Glad Sully could get the week off. I hope he enjoys yeah, himself next Sully Monday. Sully will be back here on Monday as we tee you up for the big Monday night football game between the New England Patriots and the Baltimore Ravens. Thanks to all our guests. And uh, Jack Edwards there for taking the time. And this has been another edition of Stretch Run. I'm Jimmy Murphy. Have a great weekend.